This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hey everybody, welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Lindsay Hine, and you're listening to episode 41. We decided last week to skip putting an episode out. We wanted to pause the podcast and other content to free up time to allow ourselves and our listeners to use the time to support our communities reflect and educate on race and the history of black plight in our country. Our hearts are heavy with the injustice and the fear that exists. And we as your hosts are committed to listening and examining our lives and our hearts. We commit to bold action in our families and community. And we say boldly here that black lives matter. Okay. Today's episode is episode 41, and I'm talking with Jennifer Magley. Jennifer is a speaker. She's a former professional athlete. She's a tennis player. She was an NCAA Division I head coach. She's an entrepreneur, and she is the single mother of two young boys, though she calls it an independent mother. I love it. In this episode, we learn about her career path and... She shares a story about when she walked through her divorce and what that looked like and how though her life at that point wasn't turning out to look like the life she envisioned, she picked up the pieces with her two young boys and has worked so hard to get to where she is today. And she'll tell this story in the podcast interview, but she recently at the beginning of the pandemic had a LinkedIn article go viral with over 10 million views. Jennifer's personality is contagious. Her energy is contagious. And I can guarantee you that after you listen to this podcast, you're going to want to be sitting in the audience listening to her speak on a stage because she has a gift. All right, friends. Enjoy my conversation with Jennifer Magley. Well, today on the Illuminate podcast, we have Jennifer Magley on the show. Welcome to the podcast, Jennifer. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. Uh, Yeah. So Allie Brettnacker from Linking Indie Women connects us. And uh, I was a speaker for Linking Indie Women as well about, gosh, I was pregnant with my fourth, so it must have been. <laughs> I do you know you know you do that base everything time wise on when you had which kid, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's so fascinating because Linking Indie Women is this amazing organization here in Indianapolis that connects business women with one another, and once a month they have a speaker get on stage and share their story. And little fun fact. I went to my first Linking Indie Women meeting uh, when I was a brand new professional. I think I was like 26 years old. Um, Mm. Yeah. And then it was kind of full circle 
eight or nine years later when I actually spoke on the stage because the, oh wow yeah the organization had changed so much it had grown so much and I just think it's such an incredible resource for our community here in Indianapolis yeah Sarah and Allie do a wonderful job of hosting this free event every month and for me it was the first time that I actually was um, on a stage speaking to adults <laughs> I had done quite a bit of speaking um, in the classrooms here in Indianapolis in the IPS school systems. And it was really a big turning point for me, kind of a jump off point for my my speaking trajectory, as as I guess I can call it. You are such a good speaker, too. Like it is. Oh, you're kind. It's true. It's almost like you watch certain people talk in front of a crowd and they just have this confidence that. Is it self-taught or is it your, is that just your nature? Tell me how you've crafted this so well. Oh, you're, you're really kind. I mean, I probably feel like I'm going to sweat and slide out of my shoes before I go on stage (laughs) every single time. And, you know, that's when I realized, okay, I just have to, um, when I feel that way, I'm starting to make it about me. Mm. And the more I think about that it's about them, the better I feel. So I, uh, an acquaintance of mine shared a great quote with me. And she said, you know, Jennifer, I want you to think of what you're about to do as there's thousands of people that are frozen and they can't move until they hear your voice. And so every time before I go on stage, that comes to mind and I draw strength from that. And I say, okay, if I'm nervous, it's really about me. But if I'm here to share and impact lives, hopefully from mistakes and lessons I've learned, then then let's get it on. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you mentioned speaking in front of IPS schools. My kids go to IPS school. I'm curious. Oh. Yeah. What was your, what were you doing in the school system? Yes. Yeah, so actually another point of connection with Allie, I, I was a part of the Or Fellowship Entrepreneurial Program. So they would bring in a, an entrepreneur, business owner, to the IPS schools to help mentor and teach them about small businesses. And I, and I used to do that uh, for eight hours at a time at oh different schools. <laughs> so long. And, oh, uh, yeah, Lindsay, I'll tell you, like, literally, I was at one school and it was, I would experiment. And so I would do my presentation, but I would, you know, come in really lethargic and then suddenly flip the script. And then the next time I would do it, you know, I had to I had to keep changing and morphing because the students were, would actually live stream live stream me from their phones to another classroom. Mm. Uh, they weren't supposed to be uh, FaceTiming and live streaming. Sure. <laughs> so I thought, okay, if this is what it is, I've got to be fresh every time. And it was trial by fire, but it was it got me ready. It got me ready to speak to adults and speak with adults. <laughs> I mean, talk about good practice, though. But I also wonder, and I have not actually one time. I spoke um, big man on campus at IUPUI. Um, they were doing a night because they the the Zeta House. I think it's Zeta. They always raise money for breast cancer um, research. And uh, long story short, I've had a double mastectomy because I'm mm-hmm. positive for the BRCA2 gene mutation. So one of my old babysitters asked me if I could speak at this event. This is like f- frat and sorority gals and guys okay like Mm. this is you know like 20 year olds 21 yeah and I was 
almost, I think I was more intimidated by that crowd than adults or younger kids because I just feel like the attention span of that age group, and I'm not, I'm 36, I'm not cool anymore, I feel like, you know? (laughs) So I think that that is the most um, intimidating group I've spoken in front of just because of the age. What do you, do you find a certain group of people that you've had to kind of overcome the, um, getting up in front of them? You know, for me, it's more about the time of day mm. that I speak. So I found that, you know, when I did in the Indianapolis creative mornings talk, it was super early in the morning and it's hard. It's hard to speak very early when people have just woken up. It's hard to open up a conference. It's also equally as challenging to close it, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause I mean, I've been, on, I've been in situations before where I was getting ready to go on stage in front of 3000 people. And I look out and I see about a quarter of them are literally asleep, like yeah. from a long day of being in the conference <laughs> and the light glow of the phones of the people that are still awake, you know, at the end of the day, uh-huh. waiting for that happy hour. So it's more for me, it's more of a, a time of day. And the, the thing that I also think about my little formula for speaking is, to deprecate, elevate, and then, this is cheesy, revelate. (laughs) (laughs) So I figure if I'm going to go on stage, I'm going to deprecate myself so people can quickly understand that I don't think I'm perfect or know it all. And then I'm going to elevate that audience and tell them why I'm nervous. It's because of how incredible they are. And then hopefully I'll be able to have some type of revelation, you know, of grandeur that that they will remember one thing that I say, because I'm not even going to remember what I said, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good point. I know if there's a conference that runs from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., put me in oh. the 1030 spot. <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. Or right after lunch. Yeah. So yeah. Best time to speak is right after lunch. But yeah, the, to close out a conference, it's it's something. Oh, yeah. Okay. So let's get into your life a little bit. You have um, a, such a cool life. You were a professional athlete um, and you also coach. So can you kind of walk us back to your childhood? Your dad played professional basketball and what that was like growing up with that kind of life? Yeah. So I uh, picked up a tennis racket when I was three years old and used to hit against a wall at a public park when my dad had to pick one of us kiddos. There's four kids in my family mm. of um, to take to the park. So he took me since I wasn't in diapers and I talked too much. So he gave me a racket and said, go hit against that wall. Come back when you hit 50 in a row. And that's how I started playing tennis. Had no idea that it would lead me to be on Team USA and travel the world by myself, you know, by, from the age of 12 on. And went to University of Florida, full scholarship, won a national championship there and played pro for a little while um, and had some success. Tennis is a bit like, um, I would say, if, if there's a minor league in tennis, it, you still have to pay for it. So mm-hmm. it's a different kind of a professional structure, but saw that my heart really wasn't wasn't in that lifestyle. So I stopped and started coaching tennis. I was a division one head coach. So that's that's a little bit of my sports journey and but my life journey, I've been the stay-at-home mom. I've been the breadwinner. I've been the work-from-home mom. You know, there's all these different types of mothers that we like mm. to put into categories, and I've been all of them. Wow. <laughs> not, not all exceptionally well, but I've been all of them. And how old are your kids now? I know you have two boys, right? Yeah, they're seven. Oh, excuse me, eight. I would be corrected by him. <laughs> they're eight and five years old, two little boys, and 
They're absolutely so sweet. I have to, I'll, I have to tell you about my son. Um, he's the eight-year-old. He's the largest eight-year-old in captivity. He's <laughs> wears the size of 12 clothing of a teenager, preteen. And I've been trying to teach my kids how to meditate. Have you ever done that yet? Oh, my gosh. That is such a great question. I recently interviewed um, a couple who talked about encouragement-based parenting, and I am on a mission to do that because that is what the dad does every morning. He has their kids meditate. (laughs) He does a guided meditation with them, which I think is key because if you can't, you got to kind of guide them. But tell me, what are you doing? Yeah, so I... I try to meditate, nothing, you know, too fancy. It's it's, meditation is essentially what's sitting and dismissing your thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. And so I have my little guy and and breathing. He's eight years old. He he hops into the bed with me in the mornings. I journal, I read, I get up at four in the morning every day. I'm sure you have some morning rituals. It's insane. It's insane. Because if we don't, it's the only time like we have for ourselves, right? It's either in the evenings or in the mornings as as mamas. So he's sitting next to me and he goes, I, I said, how long do you want to meditate for? This is his second time doing it. I said, five or 10 minutes. He said, five. I said, all right, I'm throwing the timer on. So I'm thinking to myself, this is really special. You know, I'm sitting here with my kid and the timer goes off and I look at him and he looks so refreshed. And I go, anything come to you, buddy? And he exhales and he goes, yeah. I go, what? And he looks me dead in the eyes and he says, are you trying to grow a mustache? (laughs) 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 And he was so, he was so serious. And I said, um, um, I didn't know what to say. He goes, because you are. (laughs) And I just, I, from that moment, I knew I had been in quarantine quite a long time. (laughs) So I had to shave my mustache later on in the afternoon. So I, I don't know what he would have been thinking if I would have gone for 10 minutes, you know, of meditation. So (laughs) are you trying to throw a mustache? (laughs) They're so brutally honest. And it's like, were you thinking about the mustache the whole five minutes? Yeah. Was it the mustache or was it the delivery of how do I tell my mom? (laughs) Or maybe she's trying to do this. So I want to encourage her, you know, (laughs) I want to support the mustache. Yeah, that's exactly right. I just yeah, it was that was literally the other day. So motherhood, single mamahood and independent motherhood. It's all it is. Talk about ride. It's wild. I love it. I love that. You, I love the independent motherhood. Tell us more yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah, I had a friend who uh, so gently corrected me. She said, oh, honey, I'm not a single mother. She said that she was an independent mother. And ever since then, I've been inspired to tack that on. And it's a part of my journey that I never saw coming. You know, two days before my business opened, I became a single mother and an entrepreneur overnight. And that meant for the last five plus years that I had, I would wake up every day with zero guaranteed dollars in my bank account. Mm. And that's what it was. You know, it was a wild, wild journey. Um, it's one I wouldn't trade for anything, but it's, it has those, these five years, it's been something else. So I, I actually owned a fitness business where you could go to 40 different gyms for one fee. Uh, it's very similar to class pass, like pre class pass in Indiana. Open gym, yeah. Indy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Back in the day, the open gym and had a lot of different success with that. And that led into consulting with different companies. And that 
of course, went into working with the individuals that owned and operated those companies in the C-suite and the owners, which then kind of rolled into speaking. So that's how speaking and coaching all came to be, was from taking that leap and saying, you know what, my whole life has just imploded, but I'm going to continue on with this business. And I just kept moving. Yeah. Can you share what the story um, in 2015, the story sitting in the fast food restaurant and how that (laughs) unfolded? And and I just because I want to paint the clear picture of how much you really have overcome in that story. Yeah. You know, I I'll I'll go one step back before that. I I have always um, I've always been an idealist, which is a nicer way of saying perfectionist, right? (laughs) (laughs) And so growing up, I always thought like the best thing that I could do for my future partner, for my kids, and for myself to show my future husband that I, you know, uh, was trustworthy and that I was quote unquote good was if I stayed a virgin until I stayed until uh, I got married. Mm. And that was just a really big part of my worth and my scale of love and really what it meant for me. And no one forced me to do this, Lindsay. That's just crazy. Was it a, <laughs> was it a religion thing? Was it a Christian thing? It, yeah, it, not even. Like, that's how you know it's not like, that's how you know the person really has a control issue, right? Yeah, it wasn't yeah. even religious. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was just like this ultimate achievement. And you know, I've jokingly said I went to one of the biggest party schools in the country that I could have slept my way through all professional <laughs> leagues, <laughs> including some awesome women's leagues. But I just, you know, I just decided, no, I'm going to be, you know, whatever. Especially because be you were an athlete, too. Yeah. And and so that's the part of the culture of being an athlete is it's kind of like going back in time to this kind of free love era. Uh-huh. And it's something that I just never experienced. And so I share that to say I had put in all the ingredients for a chocolate cake into the oven with being, you know, practicing abstinence and, you know, not having a TV in my room and just really trying to be on track. And then Mm. when I opened up that oven, I got a cactus. Mm. (laughs) So that that experience of um, my husband, which is my was husband sharing and and own opening up, which actually quite bravely when you think about it to say, hey, look, from the moment that I've met you, um, I've been having this other life, this secret life with with other women mm. every step of the way. The reason why I share this story of abstinence is because that was the hope, was that I would have this certain kind of family and this certain kind of love and my life and my future would would have a bow around it because I had done, in my mind, what I thought was right mm. for 20-some years. and. Wow. So when he told me that in public, I was so shattered. You know, my kiddos happened to be there. And I don't know if there is a good place or a right time to tell someone that. <laughs> but I, 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 that was the beginning of um, having to confront a life that didn't exist. And a reality that I really had created was that I was in this certain marriage and had just bought a brand new home in Fishers, one of these big suburbs in central Indiana, here. Yep. you know, where there's four and a half children per home. You can get pregnant just walking down an aisle in Target. There's so <laughs> many kids. And I had one of those massive, you know, Fisher's houses. And I literally pivoted that moment. And I said, okay, well, I can help you put your things in the black 
past plastic bag and we can just go our separate ways. <laughs> wow. It's, it's I know I'm, I'm laughing because who does that? You know, it's it doesn't even seem I don't know. I'm, I'm, it doesn't seem real. But for me, it was that real that my trust had been broken and mm-hmm. damaged so deeply since, you know, we'd been married for eight years that I just I knew I had to move forward. And I did. I actually never I never looked back. That was it. Did you know in that moment, like, I'm not going to try to make this work? Yes. I, I well, so there's an analogy about a frog, which is we've all probably heard it is if you throw that frog in the boiling hot water, it's going to jump out, right, in a pot of boiling hot Mm -hmm. water. But if you put a frog in a pot of water and just slowly turn the heat up, then it doesn't jump. Mm. And it's an incredible phenomenon. And so a lot of people look and they say, how can a strong, you know, woman or this kind of woman, there's always seems to be a type, as though we can tell a type of a person who would be in a dysfunctional relationship. Mm. For me, it was this temperature was slowly turning up. And so when someone has a behavior where they're being dishonest to you, their solution is to make you think often that you're crazy. Mm. So there was a sense, more a sense of relief that I wasn't crazy that along the way that these suspicions that I had, um, they weren't insecurities. And so that's where the relief kind of felt like, oh, wow, I'm not crazy. But then how can I ever trust myself again? (laughs) Yeah. So... Yeah, it was. So that happened in, in 2015. And it was a lot of a lot of struggle. And a lot of um, there's, uh, how can I say it competing commitments. So we all say we want something, but we actually are unknowingly um, committed to other things. And these things that we're committed to are competing with what we say that we want. So it's even deeper than self sabotage. And a lot of this work is done by these uh, two professors out of Harvard. They created this immunity map, and it really explores this concept of of having an immunity to change through competing commitments. And so I did a lot of work over the last five years, and I had realized, you know, not only did I self-sabotage post-marriage, but I also was using things like charity work to procrastinate from actual work. Mm. <laughs> I was also... You know, holding myself back in different areas because I thought, well, if I work full time and put my kids in daycare, then I'm not as good of a mom as I could be. So I had all these limiting beliefs that surfaced, you know, years later. And that was the tipping point that helped me kind of connect with the real me. Yeah. So did you feel as you're walking through that, like, um, like you mentioned, yeah, I'm laughing about it now, but because you know, yeah. it all seems so crazy, like that this right. is actually my reality. But like, did you feel like I have to be strong for my kids right now? Or did you feel like I have to be strong for me right now? How did the kids factor into that? Because I imagine when your spouse tells you, hey, I've been cheating on you for 10 years or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot different once you have kids. Just because of the, um, well, now you have a family together, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yes, yes to to all of those things. So in in Hamilton County, the moment you become a single parent as as a woman, you pretty much get a little bit of this scarlet letter branded on you. Mm. Um, And there's there's this phrase called hot to trot. Have you ever heard someone say, oh, she's hot to trot? Yes. 
Yes. So that comes from the 1950s when um, divorcees, 50s and 60s, women began to divorce their husbands. And at the barbecues, these men would look at the women and say, oh, she's hot to trot, Ah. meaning she's, she's wild now that she's divorced. So there's a stigma. There's a huge stigma that comes along with being a single mother, specifically um, in a small suburban town. And for me, did I feel like I had to be strong? Well, I kind of had, I, I really did have the most incredible setup because my mother um, moved in with me. Nice. And so I was really, really fortunate that while I was you know, grinding myself to the bone, trying to launch this business that my mom was there to watch my very young kids, um, extremely, extremely um, little guys. And so I was I had felt a lot of support. But I I guess I knew that there was no quitting. And I just I knew I had to keep putting one foot in front of the other. But I would say that some quirky things began to happen. So have you ever not known something was a little off until retrospect. And yeah. You're like, oh, that was yeah. that was kind of weird. So for me, that manifested in like um, suddenly being really thin. Mm. Uh, but it was a way of kind of controlling one thing. So that was like one thing I could control. And I just got hyper focused on, you know, being healthy and thin. And so everyone has their different way of coping and that became part of mine and and then also just doing so much charitable work and thinking of others and not having boundaries and just thinking that was going to you know anything that could distract me from the pain I was feeling I thought was positive but I didn't view it that way at the moment I am intrigued by the conversation around the stigma particularly Mm. uh I I would love to hear you talk more about that and just the walking through that with your friend groups too. Yeah, I think um, I'll tell you this. It's it's not until you get into those um, milestone moments that you realize mm. how different your lives are. And so for me, an example of that would be going to the mailbox and getting holiday cards Mm -hmm. and every year seeing everyone else's family look so perfect and progressing at a rate and just thinking oh we got married the same year and they've had even more kids and you know I did feel so so sorry for myself initially I mean not only was my ego decimated but I just felt like sorry for me that I had to provide financially and be kind of you know the backbone of these kiddos. Um, and so I just felt really, um, tired. So what I did was I created a new tradition around holiday cards. And so (laughs) my holiday card each year is actually themed and it has me and my two sons because I thought growing up with this stigma of being a single mom, I never got cards with moms with photos on them with just them and their kids. It just didn't happen with the part of the country I grew up in. And so that's what I've done. And they've been themed. So the first year was a 1950s theme. Uh, the next year was 1970s. And we dressed up as though we were getting our holiday photo from that time. And then last year, I decided to take it to another universe. And I had an illustrator draw us as though we were superheroes and so that everyone could have a super 2020. <laughs> That's so cute. I love that. So instead of being triggered and having these anxiety attacks, literally, you know, my face is like buzzing and I'm crying and I'm 
grieving still. You know, I three years ago started a new tradition and it's kind of filled in the gap of the awkwardness that you feel when you look at other people's families and and those conversations and, you know, the stigma that comes with it. Yeah. Um, This feels personal to ask, but I'm just curious. Did you feel embarrassed or like shameful that you were in this situation, even though it had nothing to do with what anything you had done? I'm completely, completely embarrassed. Humiliated. Humiliated. I mean, I when I would have my spiral moments, I call them spiral. It's like when three things go wrong in a day, then suddenly everything used to just go crazy in my head. You know, I'm like, everything's terrible because three bad things happen. Mm. And um, yeah, I I completely was. uh, I don't know. I don't know how to say it. It's like when you think about that day when you got married and everybody was there and Mm -hmm. everyone was watching you. I think those are the main people that you feel you feel embarrassed by. Yeah. And this the shame that comes with it is not only just like a a shame of shame on you that you did this to me, but of all the people, I chose you. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> like what was it in me that allowed myself to fall for something that wasn't real? And what that meant was um I essentially had found someone that at the time was was treating me the way that I thought of myself. Mm. Wow. So you've created this beautiful life now as an independent mother with your two boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what do you think the key ingredients were to moving on to being healthy and happy. I know you mentioned getting up at four in the morning, like, you know, taking care of yourself so that you can take care of these boys. But what do you think the other factors were? For me, I had a really big moment when I did the exercise that I mentioned by those Harvard professors. I had met an executive coach who worked with a lot of high performers. And he did this exercise with me called the immunity map, where I was able to identify those competing commitments so that was a huge breakthrough moment for me. And that was a couple of years after um, the divorce happened. And I felt like I just needed a breakthrough. So the biggest factor had was actually opening up to someone um, and saying, okay, let's try this. Let's, let's go for this. I'll do this, these two sessions and see where I'm stuck. And I had no idea how it would inform the rest of my decisions. So that's being open and vulnerable. I mean, even recently, being vulnerable and open posting on LinkedIn that I had been laid off. I did that reverse leap back into being an employee from having my own business and then very glamorous job, just less than 90 days in, I got laid off and shared about that. And, and then I got a new job within three days and 10 million people had seen it and 500 people shared it. U.S. News and World Report did a whole feature on me. I was the most famous laid off woman in the Midwest. Um, okay. I need to hear more about this because I know about the LinkedIn article. She wrote this LinkedIn article. Hasn't it been viewed like over a million times? 10 million times. Can you believe it? It is so funny. And the reason why I bring it up is because it has to do with being vulnerable, you know, and, and showing, Hey, this is my self judgment. This is my shame. I've, 
lost my job. I literally, it starts off by saying, I'm not special. Yesterday I was laid off, but I've been here before. And one of the lines is, I've been so broke, the only loan I qualified for was from my kids' piggy banks while they slept. And you know I what? just can hit we, the points. <laughs> can we read it? Do you have it in front of you? Can we oh, read it? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to see if I, could, I'll, I can pull it up. Okay. But, we can edit out the pause. I think that that will yeah. go over well in the, in the recording, though. Yeah. One of the biggest things was that I did not, I did not anticipate that when you opened up and you were vulnerable, how other people would respond. And if anyone's ever down the comment section of, of that post is, was just really, really shocking. So here is the, uh, shocking because everyone, I mean, people were admitting things like I've been homeless and lived out of my car with my kids and I've never told anyone until mm. today. Like they would, so they read that post and that's what would happen. It's like its own chicken soup for the soul. But the post reads, um, okay, go ahead. I'm, yeah, I am not special. Yesterday I was laid off. No spouse, no special savings, no childcare. No one will quote, save us. It's all on me. Maybe that's the good news. I've been here before. Yes, I've been so broke. The only loan I could get was from my children's piggy banks while they slept. Yes, often I'm the only arms to hold while anxiety rips through my body like an emotional seizure, freezing my face and suffocating my lungs. Yes, I have felt the weight of trying to do it all at once and failing with each step. If this is you or someone you love, know this. There is no shame in being knocked down. We may be all in this together, but you are indeed experiencing your own unique struggles, thoughts, and emotions. There is no way out but through. None of us are too special to escape this crisis. When we want change, it is called opportunity, and when we don't, it is deemed a challenge. Total transparency in this time will be my way of rising back up. What is working for you? And you hit publish. <laughs> <laughs> and when do you realize that this thing is going crazy? I don't know. I'm sitting in my bed. I'm just like, I call it sweating in my creases, feeling really uncomfortable. You know, when you, start <laughs> you put it out there. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought I was going to throw up. And I actually have met the most incredible man who I've been with now um, for over a year. And I called him and I said, listen, I just wrote something. And I want you to know I love you, but you know, we're not engaged. We're not married. So sometimes I feel this way. And he's like, I totally support you. I'm like, I know, oh, but you haven't read it yet. I'm sure, like, <laughs> sure, sure. And and he calmed me down because I don't, you know, it's been years. I'm able to talk to you and laugh about what I have been through becoming a single parent, but being laid off, I that was immediate. You know, I had never shared anything immediately before. And so I press um post and you know, I get a couple of like likes and I'm thinking oh great you know this is touching people and then then it just starts going crazy <laughs> it just started going crazy and it was be it was like the first week that everyone started mm -hmm. getting laid off um now we've got what is it near 30 million people over one in six you know without a job but at that point you know people weren't even sharing with others that they were laid off yet because there's so much connotative shame you know with that like what did you do or yes you weren't, you weren't of the top quality to be kept on mm -hmm. and you know what does that mean so yeah so yeah over I, I it was really a moment like I when U.S. News and World Report did that feature I just I thought it was going to be 
my name, just a woman in the Midwest. But it started off with when Jennifer Magley got laid off and I literally had, you know, a fit. I'm like, no way. I'm so known for failing. For failing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Tell us about that job kind of being a dream job, but you know, you've been an entrepreneur for so long and then you've, now you've got the speaking thing too. So, um, you know, cause I often say I've created this entrepreneurship, you know, this job of my own as well. And I was just thinking about this when I was reading the article and the piece that you wrote and, and learning about how you went and got this job that was a dream job. And I'm thinking I would be terrified to work for someone else again because I've been working for myself for so long. So can you kind of yes. share with us about that? <laughs> yeah. So uh, here in Carmel, we have some wonderful childcare, but this childcare costs more than my rent every month. Yeah. <laughs> and so what happened was as my kids got older, the cost of living just started to skyrocket for me. And I thought, you know what, what if I can get plugged into a company where I can add value and show what I can do? And I got brought on to a sport and entertainment industry, which was a global, excuse me, agency. It's a global agency um, headquartered in London, North American offices out of New York City. This is the dream job. I mean, all the big clients, TikTok, huge celebrities. It's just literally the Rolodex is so impressive. And so like the first month, they fly me up to New York City. They know I'm a speaker. They put me on the stage to open up their big offsite, which is like over 200 people from the New York office. You take the whole day off and they're all there. We've got speakers. So I speak before the global CEO. I speak before the North American CEO. The next day, boom, I present to one of the wealthiest philanthropists in the world on the 40th floor overlooking Central Park of their Capitol building. I'm literally talking to a billionaire. And we get the, we've got him as a client. This is amazing. I'm like, wow, yes, this is why you reverse leap and become Mm -hmm. an employee, right? Mm -hmm. Like You're leveling up. And then like, 87 days later, I'm laid off. Wow. <laughs> and I was just, you know, so I, I became an employee for stability because I didn't realize that whether you do a good job or not, you still get a paycheck on the 15th and mm-hmm. the 30th. And I like, I'm signed me up for that. Yeah. You know, that's pretty awesome. And I can do this in addition to all the other little side hustles that I've got going. So it was an exciting time to, to be in an industry that's now, um, completely shut down. You know, it was kind of a golden age of sorts. I think it will be quite a long time before that industry is even back up and running the way that it was previously. So now I'm, you know, I got laid off on a Friday and then by the next Friday, because of that post, I had a job offer and I accepted it. And I am making more money. I recruit people to work in insurance. It's remote work. And the money that I'm saving from not having to pay for childcare, I mean, is nearly $20,000 a year. So it's a pay bump in a bunch of different levels. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, did, so did people just reach out to you about job opportunities once that post went viral? Yes, I have. This is embarrassing, but I still haven't gotten through all the messages. There are thousands and thousands of comments and messages. And I don't know how actual known famous people do anything. (laughs) Oh, sure. People that are actually like like always living like that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like that's normal. Like they post things and it gets that much attention. So 
Um, yeah, it actually came through from one of my contacts who I had never met. And they said, Hey, we have an opening here. And I'm like, Hmm, tell me more. And so it's, it's actually worked out in my favor. I can say it's worked out in my favor and I'm grateful because a pandemic is scary for all of us. This is, it's a, it's like someone took the board game and flipped it upside down. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, it's a crazy thing when you just write something from your heart and just share with the world what's happening and how you're feeling and for it to just explode like that because those your intentions for writing it weren't for someone to just offer you a job like that. Right, yeah. It was to help yeah. other people who are experiencing the hardship not feel so alone. Like you said, when you first started seeing the likes come in, you were like, okay, this is resonating with people. Like people are getting encouragement from this. Right. Yeah. And also, you know, I'm tired of my full-time job looking is that I look like I've got it all together. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the other part about social media that is um, very deceiving at times. It's just these constant highlights, you know, comparison is the ultimate thief of joy. And there's there's nothing um, that can make you feel worse than thinking of where you should be compared to other people or where you should be compared to yourself of where you thought you'd be at this by this time. And that's something that I've tried to get away from and, you know, do that by deleting the apps and then putting them back when I feel like it, just creating some healthy boundaries around social media. (laughs) For sure. Let me just get real with everybody right now. I... Um, I just downloaded, I just got on TikTok. So I've of oh, course okay. just got cracked out on that because it is yeah. literal <laughs> crack. You just can't turn it off. You have to delete it because there's always something else. So A, that has me thinking, oh my gosh, I need to do TikTok. I need to do all these things. Mm. And I'm like, Lindsay, you do not have the space in your life to learn TikTok dances like <laughs> to put out daily. But secondly, um, I then somehow got on Rachel Hollis's Instagram. Do you follow or know of Rachel Hollis? Um, yes, I, I've heard of her and I've, I've seen some of her posts before. Yeah. Yeah. And she's just an incredibly, um, she's a very famous woman who is in kind of like the self-help space. <laughs> right. And I was like, you know, I hadn't looked at her profile in a long time. So then I'm like digging through her profile and like <laughs> she has an app now. Like sh- the woman does everything (laughs) and she is gifted like she is very good at what she does but I got in this hole thinking well you need to be doing this and you need to be doing that and you need to be doing this and you're not doing enough and it's like I am not Rachel Hollis and I will never Mm. be Rachel Hollis you know um so yeah it's just you're speaking to me real real deeply right now based on that like 30 minute hole I got in last night. And here I am still thinking about it. Well, you know, it's like, how do we spend our time in this pandemic? And how do we spend our time period? For me, I'm going to do the thing that allows me to have the least amount of self judgment. Mm. And that means fill in the blank. You know, some days that's watching Netflix as long as I want. Some like an, <laughs> the other days that's you know reading my books or taking a bath. It's it's not one or the other. And I think that that's the the other thing is that it is there is a culture and I and I want to address exactly this um, thing with Rachel Hollis and all of the other thought leaders. Uh, 
I love thought leaders and maybe one day, you know, we will be considered thought leaders Mm -hmm. in some capacity, maybe not. But I became very frustrated during COVID of all of these pieces of advice that these very successful and now very wealthy Mm -hmm. um, thought leaders were giving. It it sounded a lot like this. If I was you, if I was in that position, if I was a small business owner, I would. And they're like broadcasting from their like home gym or you can see like their nanny in the background cooking dinner. And, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, like, where is the person who's just going to keep it real and say, look, I'm laid off and I'm broke. And I just decided to raise my hand on LinkedIn. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. And, And everybody was like, oh, that's a real one right there, you know. And so I think I think there is a bit of a disconnect between all of these people that we really love to listen to because they they really can't say like I can't turn to somebody in a in a um uh a, they call it level one. There's four different levels um, from uh, Rosling categorizes the wealth of the world into four different categories, right? And he says level one is is shoeless, and that's your form of transportation or your bare feet. I'm not going to go to someone in level one and say, hey, if I was in your bare feet, this is how I would address your current situation Mm -hmm. because I don't have a clue, Mm -hmm. right? I don't have a clue of how to to transform or to inspire to make them better. And that's what I feel like a lot of these thought leaders are doing is they're looking and they're saying, hey, this is what you should, they should on you. You know, this is what you should be doing. And I hope to not do that. You know, that, that was my aim with that post. That's yeah, that's so good. And I love the the comment on the fancy gyms because I'm telling you one of the pictures I was looking at, she was in her like big fancy gym in her garage, <laughs> like this massive barn garage. And I was like, this is so ridiculous at 36. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, if I had a gym like that, yeah, you, right. know, like, you know, like I wish I had a gym like that. I'm like, Lindsay, stop. Your life is wonderful. It's wonderful. But when you see Oprah quarantining, like putting Stedman in quarantine on <laughs> one of her houses on her house property, you just think like, yeah, we are living different lives. I forgot because I think we're just alike, but it's not until they flex and they floss on you during a global epidemic that you're like, oh yeah, we're not the same. That's right. I forgot. Yeah. You know, I forget. We're, we're, I, you know, cause in my mind we're, we're, we're eyeball to eyeball, but when you don't own a home, when you see somebody being yeah. put in quarantine, it's just like, wait a second. So I, I hope to one day have that problem of being disconnected. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. Right. It's okay to be successful like that. Yeah. No, I know. Um, <laughs> Okay, well, I have another question. Um, We've talked about your kids quite a bit, and this is a very broad question, but I would like to know what has being a mother taught you? Uh, What has being a mother taught me? Well, it has taught me that um, don't expect to be able to wear a bikini to the pool. Because your youngest son, regardless of how good you're feeling, will point to your stomach and say very loudly, what happened? To which your older son will say, you, you happened. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that's what it's taught me is, you know, it's been, I call motherhood the ultimate air quote meditation. So a lot of people that are that are holy um, and a lot of faiths that are holy believe that isolating oneself from temptation and from others 
is the true way to devote yourself with sacrament and communion with God, right? Is I'm going to be silent and just listen and hear God speak and hear the universe speak to me. Well, I feel like motherhood uh, is a holiness as well because it holds you so accountable and keeps your face literally next to the fire and the scum and the dirt and the grittiness of life. And it says, now you be holy. Mm. You love, you treat, you have patience, you sacrifice because you may never get anything out of this. But what you're getting out of this is a way to love someone unconditionally. Now turn around and love yourself the same way. Mm. And that's how I view it. And it's it's an ultimate honor. And I'm, it's left me with scars and things that will never be the same, you know, or remodeling from the inside out. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know, we wouldn't we wouldn't trade it for the world. But it is definitely a humbling experience to be a mom. Yes. What's been the hardest thing in quarantine? Um, I would say, I would say mm, having to figure out what to feed us every day. Yeah. You know, that's, it's, it's been hard to figure that out. But again, like, what a problem to have. I have food, I have, you know, so someone's, someone's looking at me like, why are you flexing like that? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got your, you've got your computer and your AC and your car and, you know, so I am, I am someone else's disdainful, disdain flex. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, my problems, you know, my challenges are, are that just kind of, you know, what to feed them, not, not stepping on Legos things, you know, making sure I don't fall. Um, (laughs) The hardest thing, teaching my kids how to dial emergency services if something happens, you know, it's not this, there's no 911 phone, they have to figure out the cell phone. So I think they've got it now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so I just love your energy so much. And like, I want to be at a conference where you're speaking on stage. So I, I want to know when you're standing on a stage, regardless of the topic that you're talking about, what is it that you want people to walk away knowing about themselves? And just what feeling do you want them to walk away with? I want them to truly feel that I am invincible as long as I'm alive. Mm. And that's a very sage quote from John Mayer. (laughs) (laughs) But My quote is that, you know, I'm unstoppable when I know what I want and why. I want women to apply the vision that we have and that we have to execute on every day as caregivers, as daughters and sisters and aunts and friends and the unique, the unique way that life demands of us. I want us to be able to apply that to other areas of our lives and continue to rise despite the fact that we're knocked down at every turn. Yeah, that's so good. I love that so much. Is it, wh- what does it feel like now? You know, you mentioned that in 2018 is when you spoke at Linking Indie Women, and that's really when your speaking career took off. And yeah. m- much like your job that you lost because it was in the sports industry, like the speaking stuff, like the big stages, like those aren't going to happen for a while. So, right. Yeah. Tell me it's like things were taking off, you know? And and in a sense, I feel like that in a lot of ways with some of my podcasting stuff, because, you know, advertisers are on, on spending freezes and things like that. So, and I felt like things, you know, I was in my fourth year of business and things are really happening and we've launched new shows. 
and how do you find yourself in that moment where you're like, okay, we got to keep rolling. I got to keep crafting my skills. I got to keep doing my thing. But like a lot of things are freezing right now. How do we deal with that? For myself, how I deal with it is I think the, the how may change, but the why does not. Mm. So if my how changes, my intention is the same and that's going to inform my action. So my intention is to tell stories and hopefully, um, you know, change the way people think about things by changing how they feel about them. And so that has translated into me writing a new book. And I'm, it, it's a it's a a leadership fable of sorts. And all these leadership fables and the self-help industry are all written by men yeah. um, for men. And I've yet to see one that I have been attracted to that was a uh, main character was a woman and it was written by a woman. So I'm hoping to continue that message and that impact through this this leadership fable. That's so great. It will yeah. be your first book. I will be the second one, but um, the first one was a work of fiction and I've changed, you know, continuing to try to grow and, and change and shift and evolve. I think that's been the biggest thing. I've changed a lot of the way, the style that I write and how I have focused more on story. And And I think for, for people that are solopreneurs and entrepreneurs, it's it's what can we do to to change, you know, how we're implementing what we want to accomplish. And, and it will look different. The business model will look different and it can, will continue to evolve, but we will evolve also. That's really good advice. That's so good. I love that. Well, um, we've got some into the podcast questions that we always wrap up with. I'd rather keep talking, but we'll have to, oh. we'll have to do <laughs> yeah. that another time over coffee once we're right, out of this quarantine. Because um, we're both local to Indy, so we can actually do that. Yes, that's going to be fun. Uh, who is someone, you know, you're someone that's bringing a lot of positivity into to the world and um, in so many different ways. And I would love to know if there's someone in your own life or an organization that you see doing that that you'd like to share with our listeners. Yeah, I really have been a fan of the Potashu Foundation um, here in town, how they've made scratch made meals for children that are hunger at risk for, gosh, last I think like seven or eight years and so that same quality um cafe patichu as 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 everybody calls it Mm -hmm. um as that we get in the restaurants with Napoli's and petit chew and they're actually serving to children that are hunger at risk here in Indianapolis and we have the second worst access to food in any urban area in the country so a lot of work to do there and I'm always inspired by what they're doing I love that. I didn't know that fact. Wow, that's intense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I was on their board for um, a couple of years. And I, I will tell you that um, Indiana, we've got our work cut out for us <clears throat> between all the food swamps and food deserts that are in our cities. It's 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 a shame. We, we, are, we can continue to grow in that area. You know, I'm kind of in a food desert. It's not a, mm-hmm. it's not a big deal because I have a car. And, you know, right. like I have... Yeah. I have what I need to get there, but, um, we're in the midtown area and Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. a food desert. Yeah. Like if you didn't have a car, um, or easy transportation, it's a good three miles, you know, two, two, two and a half to, um, the next grocery store, which doesn't sound very far, but say you're a single mom with like three little kids, like that's far. 
It is. It's by foot, you know, and anything is it's brutal. And they call it also food swamps, because even if there is a gas station, the food is not necessarily food that's available in there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Okay. so what is bringing you joy right now? Joy. I literally um, just being where I'm at and exploring what it means to um, know who I am outside of achieving things. Mm. <laughs> so who am I without achievement? Who am I without this incessant need to feel that I can control the outcome and control success? And if I continue to mix up that chocolate cake, things will happen. And just letting that go and resting resting in the present. So that's, that's what's bringing me joy. I think people needed to hear that. That's good. What's a best, most recent book you've read? So I am a really, really big reader. I love, love reading. That's a hard one. Um, I would say I really like Story Genius by Lisa Cron. Okay. And it teaches people how to write fiction, but I actually think it is a self-help book, even though she's <laughs> teaching people how to write fiction, because here's my favorite line from that book is, um, plot is what happens to us. Story is how it changes us. Mm. And realizing that we're all living in our little stories that we've created. And and it's there's no other time to capture that than right now with this this pandemic. It's like our we had our little story going, and now we've got what crisis and then when crisis enters when there's the protagonist what does the protagonist do tries to make it better and with each step to make it better what happens it gets worse <laughs> yeah so what's... i think that the story genius uh, by lisa Kron's a great book i want to read that what's your story now yeah it's like we've kind of been put in this position to reframe like okay this was the story what's the story right now yeah yeah. Okay, Jennifer, what is your one message to send to the world? My one message to send to the world is love is never earned. All right. Thanks so much for listening today. Thank you, Jennifer, for coming on the podcast. You have such an incredible gift and I can't wait to be sitting in an audience listening to you speak one day soon. You guys can find Jennifer. Her website's magleyjennifer.com. She's on Instagram, Jennifer Magley. And you can also find the Illuminate Podcast on social media. We are the Illuminate Podcast on Instagram. On Twitter, we are Illuminate underscore pod. And you can also find us on Facebook, the Illuminate Podcast. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. That is one of the best ways potential new listeners can find us. Thank you all. I hope you're having a great day, and we will see you next Wednesday on the Illuminate Podcast.